This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly. Right now, you can get queued up by calling 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your questions, comments, or concerns. Thanks for having me on your show, and you can give, as I said before, a call related to plant selection, caring for ups and downs and all arounds, your annuals. Boy, some of my pansies, cool season annuals, uh, look great. Some of them have already gone. Your bulbs, like the gentleman uh, calling about his amaryllis and his voodoo bulbs, and uh, or your daffodils, we've had a call about that, when to cut the foliage off. Your edibles, your ground covers, your house plants, lawn, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, and water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but always remember my answers, comments, and opinions is certainly not the only garden path to consider or to take. And Matt's producing today, so he's making sure my voice gets out of this studio. And uh, during the week, I do something I call a walk and talk, which is a landscape consultation. If you'd like to have me come to your home for a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, the homepage. There's an email address and a phone number listed, and you can contact me. We'll schedule a time. And now, the special recognition for individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me The tip of the trowel is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trowel goes out today to the St. Louis Water Gardening Society. This year, the 17th annual Pond Tour. What they call it is the Pond-O-Rama. And it's on Saturday, June 24th and Sunday, June 25th from 9 to 5. What it is is there's 39 different water features and gardens and waterfalls and all this other stuff in both Illinois and Missouri. You get you have your choice of wherever you want to go, so that works out very perfectly. When you you know get in contact with them, they're going to send you a book that has a map on how to get to all the places and everything else. So if you're interested in this, you can go to www.slwgs.org. What does SLWGS means? Well, figure it out. St. Louis Water Garden Society. So www.slwgs.org for information about the Ponderama, which is coming up in June. But coming up today and tomorrow in Belleville, Art on the Square. This happens to be one of our favorite art fairs. Tracy and I both, we've been there many, many times over the years. And if you'd like more information on Art on the Square, you can call this phone number, 800-677-9255. They do have a website, www.artonsquare.com. So today until 8 o'clock and tomorrow as well, there's over 100 artists. One of our favorite things is they always hit, I forget what building it's actually in because it's right there down in the town square, or in the square, of course. But the high school artists, some of the kids... 
in high school, their artwork is just absolutely fantastic. So we always love to see that. There's children's art activities. There's food, wine courts, and, of course, music, as well as, I said before, 100 artists from all over the place and some very, very unique things. So Art on the Square today until 8 o'clock and tomorrow as well. So Water Garden Society, Panorama, and Art on the Square in Belleville, that's the tip of the trial today. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go. And if you do have any questions or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back over to Belleville and in the Trig's yard. Hi, Trig. Hello, Mike. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Excellent. Uh, How have you been? Uh, Big fan of the show. Thank you for uh, hosting it. Well, thanks. Uh, question, three questions, one point. Uh, our first question, are you still using an electric push mower for your yard? Yes. Actually, a battery-powered one. Battery, yeah. Is that, uh, how long has that been able to hold up for you? Well, actually, the original one I got is, it had a, I think it's acid-lead battery or something like that, and the battery, uh-huh. you know, kapoofed. And so consequently, I mean, I had to order one from China or something like that. So I just bought a new one, and it has a smaller lithium battery, and I'm much happier with it. It's a lot. The battery for the original mower weighed, you know, was more than a car mower or car battery, I think. It weighed a ton. And so the the lithium battery is about the size of a, I mean, a kind of a a box of Velveeta cheese. (laughs) Well, that's got to make it easier to push it around through, uh, through the turf. Right. Uh, and then question two. Uh, you were speaking with a gentleman about roses earlier and how it, he was uh, observing the mites or possible aphid damage. Right. Hey, I have a question, though. We had some real hard winds earlier this week. How can you tell the difference between aphid and mite damage versus unfortunately, the wind pummeling the leaves against the, the, the thorns of the rose. Just basically with spider mites, it's going to discolor the foliage. So the foliage is going to lose its greenness. That's what, you know, that's a good way to tell that. And with aphids, Green. aphids, you know, they make the leaf sticky. So if, even if you don't want to feel the leaf, you're going to be able to look down and the leaf will have kind of a weird sheen or shininess to it because when the aphid sticks its proboscis, its nose in there, when it pulls it back out, it leaves a little bit of sap, you know, and that's what makes the sheen or shine. And when the spider mites feed, they virtually, it's a little bit early for the spider mites too, even though we've had the warm weather. So consequently, mm-hmm. they just color the leaves in almost entirely. Okay, so color and texture is one way you can tell the difference of self-induced damage versus parasitic. Right. And usually okay. the, the hole from, uh, let's say, the leaf hitting a thorn on the rose bush is going to be fairly small, where if it's mm-hmm. an insect damage eating a hole in it, that hole is going to be at least as probably as big as pencil lead, if not even a little bit bigger. Ah, right on. And then uh, now then my uh, final point, uh, I'm, I'm over here in the Metro East. I've been working in... Uh, residential and commercial turf management for about 17 years. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to express uh, to everyone out there the success from using the St. Louis compost top dressing method on turf. 
Uh, we've had several customers that we've gone through with the uh, fall aerations and even some spring aerations and overseeding with the top dressing. Right. And the compounding results are extraordinary. Within two services to three services, you can have a dramatic increase in the vitality of your turf by resistance of weeds and pests. Well, so great. I would hope everybody out there does have a licensed contractor to be able to provide that type of uh, work for them or them themselves. Well, you know, great. They have you those- know, thanks, Trig. I greatly appreciate that. Now let's go to Jane's yard, and Jane is in St. Louis. Hi, Jane. Uh, hi, thanks for your service. Uh, I had a tree removed from the center of my yard about four years ago, and I thought I was going to be creative and put lots of rocks on there and some potted plants. And then I learned from you that that was not a good idea. So I removed them earlier this spring and put some compost down. My question is, will I be able to put some um, zoysia down this fall in that area? It's, it's a, about a five-foot uh, di- in diameter area. Uh it all depends. You know, four years ago, the, certainly the wood aspects of your tree, you know, the feeder roots, everything else are certainly imploded from what they originally were. Now, that one spot, though, that's still probably, I would go out there before I did anything like that and go either yourself or have somebody start digging down and see how far down, how deep you can go with a shovel in this area before you start hitting a whole lot of wood. If you're hitting wood, you know, and the wood is still pretty solid looking and feeling, then I would say uh-huh. don't bother. I don't. I told you not to put rocks in pots on this. No, just the the rocks to cover that area. I, I thought that it didn't allow aeration or something no. nutrients or something. No. No, that's uh-huh. fine. I mean, rock is a mulch, and you can then set pots on. There's nothing wrong with that. Oh, okay. All right. Well, yeah, there's still some wood there that's uh, pretty hard. So I think the uh, thanks for your advice about not bothering with it. This this. Uh, here. Yeah, I mean, the tree roots, the feeder roots, and then the trunk, it could take up to seven years, depending upon what type of tree it is, before it's going to uh-huh. totally implode. So you're going to have, let's say, I don't want to say problem-free, but less maintenance and less care to have something uh-huh. successful. I see. Okay, great. Thanks, Mike. Sure. And now let's stay in St. Louis and go over to Garden or Gordon's yard. Hi, Gordon. Hi. Um, I have an old maple tree. It's about 40, 50 years high. Uh, 40 to 50 feet high, and uh, in the last couple of years, two major limbs have been blown off with some of the winds we've had. Mm-hmm. Um, is it safe to get those topped so that wouldn't happen as much? Basically not, because you just, by topping trees, what you do is you're reducing the amount of foliage or the amount of leaves that are there. That's in direct relationship to how much root system there is. Now, obviously, you've lost some major branches, which is not really good overall. But above-ground growth and below-ground growth should be kind of even because they have to help each other with making food and you know, from moisture, nutrients, and sunlight and all that other stuff. So topping trees is not the best thing. That growth, if you do top a tree, is going to shoot up, and it's going to be even more prone to storm damage. And uh, where it broke off, it all looks like it's good wood. Will that heal itself, or do I need to do anything to it? Well, if it's really ragged, you should have somebody come out and, you know, kind of cut it because you want to expose the cambium layer, and that's the layer, you know, on a tree that actually forms a scab that slowly but surely it'll move in and cover that, you know, that area where the branch was. But it should be cut to a smooth cut. 
just leaving it really ragged, you're opening the opportunity for diseases, insects, or whatever. Thank you very much. Well, thanks, Gordon. And now let's go to Florissant and talk with Greg. Greg, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing really good. Um, I'm going to just put some fertilizer on a a good-looking fescue yard, and I haven't put the grub-type control on it either. A place I've called uh, does have a fertilizer that, you know, I think it's a 1905 or 6, um, but they do have like a 1505, I guess, uh, nutrient thing with uh, like a grub thing mixed in. Is that something maybe to consider uh, and just do it like all at once with that or just do the two separate things with fertilizer and do the grub control at another time? Well, I would be a little concerned about putting fertilizer on a cool season lawn like fescue this time of year. Okay. Even though the numbers are relatively Mm -hmm. low and everything else. In grub control, you could do the grub control whenever you want, but grubs don't damage, you know, fescue lawns. They can be there, but they're not going to. Fescue lawn, their root system is too fibrous. Grubs really don't eat them. Grubs do major damage to bluegrass lawns, but not fescues and really not zoysas. They don't eat the, I mean, they'll be there, but they're not causing major damage. So if you're getting spotting and things like that that you may think it's grubs, it's probably not grubs. It's something else that's causing that damage. Okay. Well, maybe it's got a little bit of bluegrass in it because there are a few places that, uh, yeah, when I, I have dug up things and they are they are grubs. Okay. So it might have some bluegrass in it. Okay, so that's fine. So, you know, putting the grub control down, I would have no problems doing that. But, you know, like I said, putting any kind of fertilizer as we're headed into June in another couple of weeks, which we don't know how hot it's going to be, you could be forcing some really weak cool season lawn growth. And then the summertime, as you know, the cool season lawns kind of go dormant anyway. You could really do some real damage to your lawn. Okay, so you're saying don't fertilize then. Right, don't fertilize. Wait huh. until mid to late August, September, October, November, and then you could do it once in the early spring, like mid-April or mid-March, depending upon the weather. Oh, because I've only put down, you know, like the pre-emergent uh, probably about six weeks ago, so that's really about all the fertilizer I need then, huh? Yeah, for right now until the end, until summer starts coming to an end. Wow. So you, for cool season lawns, you fertilize in the fall. Warm yeah. season lawns, you fertilize in the late spring through the summer. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you for the advice, and uh, I won't need it then. (laughs) Great. Well, thank you, and thanks for having me on your show. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Yep. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones. We're headed to Florissant and into Bruce's yard. Hi, Bruce. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Hey, I hope that your day is off to a good start. Yes. I have two questions for you. Uh, uh, There's a farm next to our property, and mulberries, trees, and honeysuckles grow wild along there. And I can cut those off, but, of course, then they start sprouting up from the trunk. Right. What can I use to kill that stump or trunk? Uh, Basically, there is a stump killer that you would actually get an electric drill or a battery-powered drill, auger drill holes down into the trunk, and then put the stump killer in it. Or you can basically just, Roundup has a product for killing woody plants if these trunks are not too big. 
and you can put the Roundup for Killing Woody plants, just paint it directly onto the the stumps right after you cut. If the stumps have been sitting there for a while, you're probably going to have to drill, even if you use the Roundup, you're going to have to drill some holes and just, shoot, you know, Put some of those, let's say, herbicide, weed killer, trunk, you know, woody plant killer down into the hole because they could heal over and not soak in so well. Got it. We'll do that. And the second question is, we have a 30-year-old river birch, uh, and it, it's not too far from the house, but it has a branch about 5 feet up, about 12 inches in diameter at that point, and it reaches out over the front porch and, and arches out above the roof. I'd like to take that off. But uh, I wonder if there's a best time of the year to do that. Do I do it any time of the year, or do I wait until fall when the sap stops rising in the tree? The sap never stops rising, but you're probably better off to wait. Uh, Probably wintertime is going to be a better time or an easier time. And if you have a big, long branch, too, make sure you're cutting it off in sections. So if you cut it off with one cut, it's just going to rip the bark at where you're making the cut. So cut it back a third at a time with the final cut, leaving about a half-inch stub. Okay, well, very good. Hey, I appreciate your advice, and I hope you have a good day. Yes, you do the very same thing. And now let's go southward from Florissant to Afton into Tom's yard. Hi, Tom. Hi, Mike. Uh, I'm a planter of and grower of herbs, and uh, I've just dumped out all of the dirt that was in my pots from last year, and I've got some fresh plants here, and I'm going to try to follow some of your advice. Previously heard uh, about sanitizing these pots before I put the dirt back in there. And... uh, Two things occurred to me. One, uh, I use some uh, loose rock to balance these and provide drainage in the bottom of the pot. Sure. Should I also sanitize that rock? No, you don't need to. I no. mean, I would only sanitize if you had some diseases or bacteria or something like that. You really don't need to just, you know, in essence. Okay. I mean, especially with herbs, they don't have a whole lot of fertilizer because, you know, if you grow herbs, they don't want a whole lot of water. So there's the chances of, you know, anything, let's say, contamination-wise to be in that potting mix or in the rocks is going to be pretty minimal. Okay. Now, I've, I've, uh, I've built a sieve, if you will, out of quarter-inch wire, and I've dumped all of this previous uh, used uh, planting soil into that and sorted all the stuff out of it. And sure. I've got this, like, half a wheelbarrow full that I'm going to replant with it. Should I mix any kind of fertilizer in with that, or should I just go to the water-soluble stuff? No, don't do any fertilizer because herbs don't want fertilizer. They want minimum amount of fertilizer. The more fertilizer they get, the more feeding they get, then the sort of the, the essence of the herbs, the smell, the taste, everything else gets diminished. So minimize you know, the, any kind of fertilizing at all. Terrific. You've educated me, and that's what I needed. Thank Great. you, sir. All right. Let's stay in Afton and go over to Joshua's yard. Hi, Joshua. Good morning, Mike. Uh, you probably answered this question before. How often do you rake your zoysia or detach it? Uh, basically, I do it every year and, you know, sometimes twice a year. Just depends upon how much thatch there actually is. I have a mulching mower, so it chops everything up. But the thatch that you're really raking up, you know, you really want to do it in the early spring just as it's greening up. Get all that debris out of it. That's when you make your shortest cut, you know, one-inch cut, and get all that junk out of there. And then sometimes I'll just go out with a leaf rake occasionally in the fall and just kind of see how thick it is. And if it looks too thick, then I'm going to go ahead while it's still green and still growing and viable, so, so it would be early fall, I go ahead and rake it at that time as well. Okay, cool. I'll definitely do that. And I had one more question. I had a bush in the backyard last year, and I, I cut it down and put the tree killer on it, but it keeps sending out runners everywhere. It's uh, I don't know what kind of 
Bush it was, but it's it's tenacious. <laughs> and I don't know how to get rid of it completely. It goes into the, the, the flowers in the back, too, so I'm trying to pull those up. I just don't know how to finish it off, I guess you could say. Well, basically, you've killed the main trunk, but all these suckers are probably coming off the root system. So there's mm-hmm. not really too much you can do. Other than uh, cut off, you know, cut those suckers off, put a little roundup for killing woody plants, you know, right after you make the cut. And just if some of these roots isn't depending upon what it is, they can stay viable for several years after the main mother plant or father plant, whatever, has been removed. Okay, yeah, because it, I mean, it, it spread almost 15 feet where I see runners out in the zoysia, right. even. So, okay, I'll, I'll try to do that and see if it works. Thank yeah. you very much. And if you're doing any kind of herbicides on these suckers, basically make sure that you minimize the amount of your herbicides you're going to get on any other plant that's, you know, whether it's your lawn, whether it's a plant in the bed or anything else. So just take a small, you know, small paintbrush, cut that, you know, cut it at a 45 degree angle, that sucker, and just paint right onto that open area. Don't pour it on, don't do anything else. Just get it right onto that. So now let's go to from Afton into St. Louis into Mary's yard. Mary, how are you? Hi, Mike. Hi. I'm fine. How are you? Good. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. I have a my I've I have some really old peony bushes that are still healthy and come back every year, but I didn't get very many blooms this year. So I think it's my fault because I I'm not good about fertilizing. <clears throat> I was just wondering, do I fertilize now? How how often and when do you fertilize peony bushes? Peonies are pretty tough, but basically as soon as in the springtime when you see the hands coming up out of the ground, so in other words the foliage is emerging, you should start fertilizing and use a water-soluble fertilizer. So in other words, don't put granular stuff on it because if that gets on the leaves, you could really burn some holes in the leaves. And just fertilize then and then fertilize every month all the way up until the flowers are finished, and usually that's around Memorial Day. Once, you know, one final fertilizing in uh, June and then no more the rest of the year. Really? Yeah. Okay. So, so should I fertilize now, even though it's past the blooming? Uh, have you cut the flowers off? Um, yes. Okay. So, how does the foliage look? Does the foliage still look good? Yes. Okay. So, yeah, you could go ahead and fertilize it, but again, water's water soluble. So, you know, powder that you mix in water and just pour it around it, and uh, like Miracle Grow. Yeah, okay. that's fine. Sure. Or that milorganite you? Recommend? Yeah. It's, yeah, that's not water soluble, but yeah, I mean, that's oh, okay. very low analysis. It's okay. just water soluble is a little bit easier. I mean, but if the leaves are up, then you're probably not going to get the fertilizer on the foliage anyway. So you're going to pour it around the base of the stems right, coming right. up out of the ground. Okay. All right. So every month, normally, yeah, during up until the time they bloom, and then one month after that. Okay. Thank you so much. Yep. I've and never uh, known for sure. I mean, peonies are tough. They're durable. I mean, some of the old-time varieties, they do get really elong- elongated. The flowers get huge and heavy, and that's what causes them to bend over. And don't worry about the ants on the peonies. They're just gathering the sap. So uh, we better take a break. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, we've got about 10 minutes of the Garden Hotline. Then at 10 o'clock, Investing Sense with Adam Bold. 11 o'clock, the Helotech Waterproofing Home Improvement Show with Scott Mosby. 1 o'clock, Rick Edlin. And then 3 o'clock, the Car Pro Show. So all kinds of wild and crazy stuff coming up here on KMOX. Virgil lives in St. Charles. Virgil, how are you today? I'm doing very good, thank you. Um, last September, I had a water main break in my front yard, and they had to dig it up. 
And after they filled it in, they used, I guess, a contractor seed, which I assume is mostly ryegrass. Right now, my yard is many shades of either yellow or brown in some parts. Now, is that ryegrass going to die off and fade away, or yes. what's going to happen? Ryegrass is not a successful long-term grass. It's used because it creates a quick impact, and that's why the contractors are using it. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's headed downhill. You don't see any kind of ryegrass sod for sale. Even people that say use, you know, the garden centers, they have the rye seed, they're virtually saying it's a quick fix for, a, you know, like bad spots, but it's not a long-term grass whatsoever. Okay. At that time, I did overseed it with some rye, and I'd see a little bit of rye. It seems like down. Is there any other Anything else I can do at this time? Overseed it again? Uh, I would, you know, overseed and get it done quick. If you're going to use it like a fescue or bluegrass, always get blends of anything and put it down because, I mean, the seed's going to take, you know, depending upon the weather, a couple days to germinate, let's say five to seven to ten to who knows what. And then it's facing the heat of the summertime coming in June. So that's a real, real difficult time. Usually if you're going to put seed down, I recommend earlier in this month. But if you can get it down as soon as possible, at least you got an opportunity. And then your major seeding is going to occur in late August through September and early October. Okay. I did overseed it about three weeks ago, and uh, I can see maybe it's some starter grass coming up. So it's kind of wait. Just wait it out and see what happens. Right, exactly. Because, I mean, growing a lawn from seed, it's very laborious. It takes a long, <laughs> long time to get thick. Yep. I mean, regardless. Okay. Of, and if you put too much seed down in one spot, a lot of it's just going to rot. And so you're, it's just going to be a long, you know, like I said, involved process to get it a nice, thick lawn. Okay. Okay. I'll try to oversee it again, see what happens, and keep watering. Right, exactly. And, uh... Basically, then when late August, early September come, then that's when you're going to do a major seeding, too. And top dressing with compost, you know, over your seed, too, that can't hurt. Bob lives in Ball, and Bob, how are you today? Hey, Mike. Hi. Yeah, good morning. Uh, one gentleman called, and as far as that is, anyone is cutting something off, a product called Tordon, T-O-R-D-O-N-R-T-U. If you paint it on there as soon as you make that cut, uh, is, is we found it's just a phenomenal product. But what you're saying, what you're saying with the others. But what I'm calling in is, I, I'm trying to help people that are having a tree removed. The late called with the uh, grind, stump grinder and the pilings of that. The number one thing you need to make sure is who's ever removing that tree that they grind down to a depth of six to eight inches the the stump itself. Right. And and either if you cannot do it, definitely have those grindings removed. And then what we recommend is, you know, if if you don't want to do something elaborate, uh, build a frame, uh, fill the ground with the the hole with uh, compost, as you mentioned. Uh Build a a frame, put a mixture of compost and dirt in there, and plant some flowers there. Sure. For three, four years. So anyway, just that tip, Mike. Great. Well, thanks, Bob. Greatly appreciate it. Yeah, Tordon works very, very well. I just don't mention specific names of things, you know, but just, you know, it's a stump kill. It kills a very good idea. Mike lives in Milstead. Mike, how are you today? Yeah, Mike. Good. How are you doing today? Very good. I've got a couple uh, peach trees in the back there, and I'm wanting to trim them, but I'm pretty sure I just wanted to get your opinion. You, you, should I wait till they're done? blooming and give the peaches in uh, the fall, or when do I trim those things? Uh, basically, you know, since with the peaches, have you, I'm assuming you have fruit set on them right now, correct? Yes, 
if, and what you want to do is thin some of your fruit out. So in other words, go out there if the, if it looks like oh my gosh, look how much how many peaches we have. Lots of stress, you know, is created by a circumstance where any kind of fruit tree is setting the fruit and then growing it to maturity. So get about a hand width distance in between each peach, and that way okay. you can get fully mature, you know, peaches. And that's going to have give you a better chance. And then, you know, the pruning can happen virtually. Uh, once you harvest, you can prune at that time with the idea that you are removing some of the potential flowers when you do that. Yeah. How much can I go? What, 25%? You normally say that? Yeah, use 25% may be a little severe, but, uh, you know, on a fruiting tree. But, yeah, that's as much as I would do for sure. Okay. The other question I have, we got a, a bold cypress from the botanical gardens. Mm-hmm. And it's been in the ground for about a month, but it's still just a stick. I guess when will it? It takes a while for that thing to take off. I guess it doesn't have any needles on it at all. No. Oh, it's just a stick. <laughs> <laughs> well, take your thumbnail and scrape the bark a little bit. Make sure it's still green underneath the bark because it okay. should be pushing out, you know, some needles. You know, by now. But okay. I mean, uh, you you've got a long involved process to have a fully mature bald cypress, but they're great fun. Okay. All right, Mike. Thanks. Love the show. Yep. And also, with the bald cypress, you know they want to have a really damp spot. It's going to be the best for them. Uh, Julie lives in St. Louis. Hi, Julie. Yes, hi. I'm planting herbs for the first time this year. Mm-hmm. Some are annual, some are perennial, but are there any drawbacks to planting them in cinder blocks? Uh, hmm. Not that I... Uh, the pre- so, are the cinder blocks in the ground, or are they sitting on top of the ground? It would be on top of the ground. Uh, that might be some real problematic circumstances for the perennial ones as far as winter hardiness. Okay. Because the root systems are virtually, the major part of the root system is going to be exposed to the wintertime. Okay. Uh, as far as pH and things like that, no, because, you know, herbs, you know, like an alkaline soil and, you know, the center blocks by being concrete are alkalinity. So that's okay. probably pretty good. Okay, awesome. So because, Wonderful. That's it. Thank yeah, you. I've never heard of anybody. Yeah, you know, they put sedum and all kinds of other stuff in, uh, you know, cinder blocks. But I've not seen anybody grow any herbs. So, and the reason why I'm saying that about the uh, herbs in the cinder blocks is because I've had herbs in pots, large pots. And some years everything is fine, but on a severe, you know, winter time, you know, even for just a couple of days, I've had them, you know, really tough, durable ones like the thyme, some of the rosemaries, the lavenders. In Munstead variety of lavender, you know, kind of get, you know, in the wintertime. But that's just, it's kind of fun just to do something out of the ordinary. And remember, I don't know if you heard me talking to the other gentleman, do not over-fertilize the herbs. That's the worst thing you can possibly do. You may get bigger plants, but the taste and the flavor and everything else and the smell, it's going to be, you know, washed out the more fertilizing you do. So just be really, really careful and don't over-fertilize and then certainly do not overwater with the herbs because they're very prone to any kind of overly wet soil. And I don't know what you're going to put underneath your uh, you know, concrete blocks, but hopefully the water will drain down through. If you're just setting them someplace, I would churn up the soil, dig up the soil where you're going to sit the cinder blocks first so the water doesn't just go down through the potting mix that you have them growing in. And just because the soil is compacted that this, where the cinder block's sitting, it, because, you know, it causes you know, some problems from that standpoint. Uh, outdoors, oh, man, lots of stuff going on. But re- I'm going to re- mention this again. This past week, there was so many strong winds. I was standing outside, <laughs> I guess it was on Wednesday, and, I mean, the trees were blowing unbelievably. And 
usually, you know, we live across from Christie Park. We can see the trees blowing all the time. But I don't remember winds quite that strong. And the, the sugar maples, the three that I have for street trees, they were really whipped. And that one, I mentioned in the first hour, one of them is having some real problems with the root system. And that's why it dropped probably about 80, not 80%, but probably 50% of its foliage has dropped. And last year, the fall color wasn't very good on that particular tree. So the tree was in a state of decline. And there's really nothing you can do. Once a tree's in a state of decline, root system-wise, there's, I mean, nothing. I mean, I can, you know, root, you know, you can put some deep root feeding in where you auger holes and fill them with compost. That's not really going to do that much. So the root system were damaged. Now it's pretty much very near an MSD, you know, line that's below it. So my guess is maybe the water, you know, runoff or who knows what. But I just think the root system got, you know, dissolved. I don't want to say dissolved, but, you know, dissolved by the amount of water that was there. So just take, you know, take care, you know, just don't get too involved. Don't try to do too much and enjoy it. I don't think we take, and I try to, every time I go out in the yard and work, I try to make sure that I spend at least a half hour, if not an hour, just sitting and just enjoying, watching the birds and everything else. And if you've got sprinklers on, of course, you know, you're going to have robins, you're going to have grackles, you're going to have all cardinals, all kinds of birds coming into your yard. And they really, you know, they're pretty trusting if you're just sitting there. So it's really kind of fun to watch them. And, uh, the outdoors is just absolutely fantastic. I've got two fountains, one by the front door, one by the back door. I love the sound. So anyway, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.